0: This week on A Lively Experiment, the Raimundo Resignation Watch continues, as the governor's soon-to-be successor has some public criticism for her. And more changes are coming to the state's troubled vaccine rollout
1: plan.
2: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by...
1: For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.
0: Joining us with the analysis, Brown University political science professor, Wendy Schiller, former Cranston mayor, Alan Fung, and political reporter for the Publix radio, Ian Donis. Hi everyone, it is great to have you with us this week. Despite a call from an increasing number of local mayors, for the governor to resign, Gina Raimondo continues to hang on until she is confirmed by the U.S. Senate uh, as uh, President Biden's Commerce Secretary. The good news is the impeachment trial is over, so it looks like that confirmation may come sooner rather than later. Meanwhile, the governor insists that she is continuing to run government day to day during the pandemic Ian. Uh, this is something that we've talked about <laughs> a lot we'll probably continue to talk about until she leaves we see a little bit more of a crack in the armor with Dan McKee now he came out and he was a little bit more critical you wonder how this is going to play out over the next couple of weeks because there is becoming more friction between the two of them
2: Yeah, and it's understandable that Dan McKee feels a level of frustration because he's waiting in the wings. He's not yet governor, but he is, you know, we're kind of in this in-between land. It's kind of like the twilight zone. It's a shadow realm, and even health director Dr. Alexander Scott uh, touched on this during a recent news conference when she asked who's making decisions for the state on covid and she said both governors. So does that mean we actually have two governors, one governor or no governor? And that kind of reflects a strange situation we're in right now. But I expect it could be resolved as soon as early next week. Uh, governor Ramoto has obviously been unwilling to resign ahead of her confirmation. People can debate whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. But I expect this will be resolved very quickly, uh, you know, and, and perhaps as soon as next week.
3: Wendy,
0: should she resign or is this much ado about nothing and then it happens when she gets confirmed and then it's just a little later than some people expected?
3: I think the the question of resigning should have been one asked and answered a couple of weeks ago, right? I mean, you can't blame her. She's governor of Rhode Island. Yes, we expect the Democratic Senate, the barely Democratic Senate, uh, to confirm her, but it's not done yet. So why should she resign her duly elected position before she's confirmed to the other one? Uh, we've, we've mentioned this before. I think we can probably all agree that there needed to be a much better job of transition. Even when she was nominated, she should have brought McKee on board on COVID, on vaccinations, you know, so maybe she wouldn't go through, okay, so Lieutenant Governor is still better prepared. I think that's where the criticism is justified for the governor, but I don't think she should resign. And as Ian says, it could be, as some people argued with the Trump impeachment, a moot point. If by the time we call for her resignation, she resigns and then she's already confirmed, it's just a much do about nothing. But I think the mistake was not bringing Lieutenant Governor McKee on board as soon as she was nominated and really briefing him and consulting and making sure that particularly the vaccination program was going to go well without her capacity to directly and daily run it.
0: And, Alan, I think it may be a little bit easier to swallow if we had heard from her publicly up on the stage the last seven to eight weeks. That's the real rub. If you want to be governor,
1: fine, but answer the questions. That comes with it, right? Well, it's a big part of it. And like Ian mentioned, you can't have this kind of conflict and tension going on, especially with department heads. You know, for me, it is time for Governor Raimondo to resign. I think we're all happy for her personal success, but it's like breaking up with an ex it's time for her to move out of the house because we are in the middle of a very serious crisis, this pandemic that's impacting not just Rhode Islanders, but people across the country, across the globe. And for Rhode Island, the incoming governor, um, you know, Lieutenant Governor McKee has a lot that he's gonna have to tackle. You know, he's gonna have that budget, that looming budget you know, crisis that he's gonna have to tackle. State agencies, and you know, Ian uh, brought up a good point, especially with health now with COVID, are gonna need that leadership And it's time for Dan to be able to take full reins to implement his ideas and vision for where we're going to go, especially with this COVID crisis. You know, we've seen a lot of the problems with, you know, the lack of communication between the two of them already. We've got to keep moving on. It's time to, you know, make these decisions with COVID with respect to data and science-based approach and not have uh, conflicting opinions or possibly uh, department heads not knowing which direction to turn into.
0: Alan, b- b- Alan, hang on a second. Uh, your successor, uh, Mayor Hopkins, and an increasing number of mayors have now gotten on board. I think Charlie Lombardi kind of broke the ice. Does it surprise you at all that there now there is a chorus, let's resign? What, well, I mean, what do you, I'm sure you're still in touch with them. What are you hearing from them? Why are they now coming together as one? They like Dan McKee, but also from a policy situation, what are you hearing from them?
1: Well, I can tell you just from firsthand experience, because even with, say, for instance, this, this COVID vaccination rollout right now, you know, we've seen this time and time again from, you know, uh, this governor, where a lot of times it's like, okay, we're going to roll the grenade out there, and you mayors, you know, have to deal with the explosion, try to catch up to it, and deal with the aftermath. This, That's the frustration that's going on, because... We saw a little bit with the transition where the lack of communication early on, as Wendy had uh, noted, leads to these big bumps in our roads now when the transition is happening. And as mayors, we felt a lot of that frustration You know, early on with this COVID crisis where you know one thing's announced and then you hadn't talked to us and we're the ones that have to implement it. We want to make sure that it's smooth transitions locally with a lot of the COVID vaccinations. We experienced it with the problems with testing early on. Communication is a big part of it. And we're seeing that now also between, Not, I don't want to call it a battle, but, you know, the tensions that are flaring up between Dan and the governor. Wendy? He...
3: Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and just follow up on that. You know, just, uh, uh, I'm not a lifelong Rhode Islander, but I've lived here a long time now, and it's a, a wonderful state. It's a small state, it's a small geographic state, and it's got fewer than a million people. Why we couldn't have set up statewide vaccination centers from the very beginning, you know, where you had, um, do you, it's an hour and 20 minutes across the state border, right? Just make sure that they're statewide, you know, run, and that you have a website that everybody can register on, but much the way other states have been starting to do it, the fact that well, we're not Ohio, we're not Texas, we're not Florida, it's not geographically impossible to do. There are big questions about why that wasn't the approach Given that we are a small size and a compact, our density has been a problem with COVID, right? For spreading, compact uh, state, it's just there's a lot of questions to be asked and answered. And I don't blame Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee for not wanting to be up there answering those questions now, since it wasn't his decision, it wasn't his uh, authority to just to organize it that way. But you know, for for a government that has been transparent or tried to sell itself as transparent, it's been strikingly not transparent on this. And, you know, they seem to be getting their out together now, but it just there's a lot of questions remaining.
2: It's a great point from Wendy. And the timing is very vital now because even with the frustrations and confusion about the rollout of the vaccination in Rhode Island, uh, Governor Raimondo can point to how. Infections are falling dramatically. That's the situation in a lot of places. So that's good. But at the same time, we know that the UK variant is spreading very rapidly across the U.S. is expected to become the dominant source of infections by March. So there's kind of this race against time to get more people vaccinated before the UK variant, which is more contagious, infects more people. So and I think that's fueling part of the frustration expressed by Dan McKee.
0: Uh, we'll get into the heart of the vaccine in just a second, but Wendy, let me ask you, because this is the first time we've had you and Ian, clearly uh, Allen, after leaving as mayor, uh, since the beginning of the year. Wendy, what do you look at from a McKee m- administration that may be a little bit different? What are you looking, you know, the first month that he actually has his hands on the wheel and the governor's out of the picture, what would you like to see from the incoming governor?
3: Well, I, I think the, um, the lieutenant governor, soon to be governor, we expect McKee. It's very business oriented. This is his reputation. I know from some local professional societies, he's always made a point of visiting them and going to their uh, meetings, and he cares about the economy. That's what he wants to do: get Rhode Island's economy back. Uh, on its feet. And in particular, with COVID and the summer coming up, we know tourism is a huge part of our economy. Restaurants are a huge part of our economy. Now, we know that some of the areas did okay under COVID, not as bad that last summer. But getting Rhode Island to be a place, particularly that people can drive to, they don't have to worry about flying, and that they feel safe to come, because it will be a big, big boost to our economy. So I think that's number one on his list. That's what I expect. Uh, we'll see how he does with progressives in the legislature. I think he'll have to leave that to Speaker Shikarchi and, um, and the State Senate President Ruggiero. But I, I think that's number one on his list and he has credibility in that area. That's something that he's known for. So, so I think that to me is probably what we're going to see um, coming right out of the gate.
1: Alan, what are you looking for? Yeah, for me personally, I think before we, and before we even get to the economy, you know, I want to channel uh, a quote that I heard from Prime Minister Netanyahu um, just recently. Because right now, it's about the COVID-19 vaccination program. It's an arms race between the vaccinations and, as Ian mentioned, these variants that we're seeing that is hitting in our own backyards. The number one way we're going to get our economy back on track is getting these vaccination into everyone's arms as soon as possible. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, I am expecting to see from Dan, because if I were in charge, what I'd be working on is getting, creating more types of distribution channels based on the science and the data, making sure that we're empowering the medical professionals to get those vaccines into their patient's arms. So it's not a hodgepodge approach as we kind of discussed earlier, on, you know, the show. Maybe
0: we should call it a shot in the arms race. Um, Ian, so actually before I get to Ian, Alan, let me ask you, I remember sitting at the vets and we've talked about this last fall and the governor was starting to talk about this vaccine rollout. And I was thinking vaccines are going to be far away. We were thinking warp speed was just a, you know, just something that Trump had had made up. What were you hearing in the mayor's seat? Did you hear anything up to the state rollout? Did the state include the municipalities or was it all state?
1: It was all state. I can tell you, we heard zero, Jim. And that's that's part of the frustrations that you're, you know, intentions that you're hearing from some of these mayors about, you know, probably that call, because it's not just mayors. You've heard some other state leaders kind of, uh, you know, playing around on social media with that as well, because with this vaccination, we all know that we have to get these shots in people's arms, uh, but we have to increase access through specialty doctors like oncologists or partnering with teams like the Red Cross, or as we heard during that COVID commission, you know, getting the national guard more involved so that we can reach out into the community, especially some of these harder hit communities. You know, it has to be that all hands on deck effort and there just wasn't enough communication from what I experienced. And remember, I went through it from the early stages of almost a full year of it too. So I have that practical experience of what many of the local leaders were experiencing and feeling and also hearing from many of our residents. Ian,
0: I'm sure, I'm sure your inbox is full also. I hear from people all the time, what do I do, where do I go? Now in the last couple of days, it seems like the state's getting its act together, but I think there's a tremendous amount of frustration out there. I'm sure you hear it uh, in your email.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's an indication of a disorganized process. If Rhode Islanders feel the process has been confusing and disorganized, the good news is that Rhode Island and other states like Massachusetts are ramping up to pursue a lot more vaccinations. I'd like to make a comment on the question on Dan McKee, because I think one of his big assets is his kind of regular guy credentials. He's very unaffected. He's down to earth. People like him. As Wendy said, he's advocated for the small business community at the same time, you know, he almost seems like the accidental governor. He's almost 70 years old, uh, you know, but for a less than two percentage point swing, it would be Aaron Regenberg instead of Dan McKee, who would be poised to become governor. And the process of choosing the next Lieutenant governor has been a little bit disorganized from the public view. I mean, they had a bunch of applications, then they, they indicated they were extending the deadline and accepting more applications. So the question I, and also Joe Shikarchi picked up Governor Raimondo's former legislative liaison, Steve Kavanaugh, who's a savvy state house insider. So the questions I have are what kind of relationship will Dan McKee have with the speaker and the Senate president? Will they have an upper hand because of their greater knowledge of the state house? And is McKee talking to people outside his bubble to learn about the potential pratfalls that would face him and his administration as he comes in as governor and wendy two big issues charter schools and gun control right and
0: that's a big change now that Mattyello's out of the way can you talk about that a little bit
3: yeah, certainly. Um, I thought it was really interesting that the legislative decision on charter schools to put a moratorium for a couple of years. Dan McKee has championed charter schools. He points to it, that as a big accomplishment of his um, when he's mayor of Cumberland. So, so I think that's going to be a point of contention. Uh, I think there is some work to be done in terms of repairing the relationship between teachers who are genuinely frightened of being in the classroom, uh, in-person teaching, without vaccination, without uh, safety protocols and the general public that, that is working from home with young children and needs them to be in school. We see that in Pawtucket, for example. So there's got to be work to be done uh, to bring those sides together again, because I think there are genuine concerns on all sides there. So that's, a, that's something he'll have to do. But it's not a constituency that he's used to working with in a favorable way, the, the teachers unions in particular. Uh, and the second thing on gun control, Uh, As you know, I've been on the show a number of times sort of talking about, um, you know, uh, protecting the Second Second Amendment, but then sort of limiting access to weapons of mass murder. Uh, I think there's, you know, you can have compromise. So the state Senate president has introduced a bill that limits uh, the the ability to have a gun within a thousand feet, I believe, of schools, right? You can't have guns on school grounds. And now there's a companion bill in the House to do the same. And that would be, uh, I think, a step forward. Uh, it would not necessarily infringe on Second Amendment rights at all. Just says you can't bring a gun. A lot of other states have this, you know, within a thousand feet or on school property. So in that sense, I think there'll be movement forward. And I think McKee only wins if he can sign very targeted legislation in gun control area that way, rather than being asked by progressives to go in a much bigger and broader direction on gun control. So sort of being cooperative there means that he may not have to support uh, what he may view as more liberal gun control policies.
0: What about that, Alan? He's, you know, Nick Mattiello was kind of the firewall for years, regardless of what went in the Senate and the Senate back and forth. What about gun control and what about charter schools in this session? What do you see coming out?
1: Well, you know, as far as charter schools, um, you know, I don't, uh, just to echo, you know, Wendy's points, I'm not expecting Gamma Key to make a 180 degree turn on something that's been so important to him as charter schools. But I think one of the things that's raised uh, up to the General Assembly and to many leaders uh, across the state is that they've identified some areas that need improvement in terms of the way charter schools are funded. And are certainly frustrated by the way they tend to uh, not embrace children with special uh, education requirements. So, you know, that bill has been introduced and it's being, you know, uh, pushed on the moratorium. You know, personally, I, I don't think it should be three years to fix uh, some of those problems like it's currently proposed in that uh, bill, because we do have families in certain communities in the state where their children have been left behind uh, by the system, and they need the help immediately. So I agree with Wendy. He's going to have to build back those relationships to try to get something done to balance both sides on the issue. And on gun, you know, on those gun uh, control bills that you're talking about that have been put in, you know, one of the things I know it's been put out there that you know, oh, Speaker Mattiello, Speaker Mattyello, but there is a strong and also vibrant bipartisan. Um, Second Amendment community uh, that's up in the state house, and that are you know both on the house and the senate side, and you know I expect them to kind of put you know their best foot forward um, during this session. But to be honest with you, you know we're talking about what's going on at the state house with these bills that have been at least put in on the senate and house side. Well, with the stroke of a pen, we're seeing you know President Biden already you know, through executive order, taking a lot of the initiative. So this might be one of these issues that uh, become moot, too. But at the end of the day, unless the smoke comes out of Joe
0: Secarchi's pipe for that that gun control bill, you can have a vibrant bipartisan. But unless he lets, the word's going to come from him to his constituency, wouldn't you think? Ultimately, you have a new speaker. I mean, it's not totally Nick Mattiello, but it was a lot Nick
1: Mattiello. And that's the thing. And you know, you've got the new speaker, he's going to have to balance all of those constituents. Like I said, it's a bipartisan support, you know, Democrats and Republicans on both sides. And he's going to have to, you know, juggle that. You know, we've heard the Senate, you know, on that. And now we're waiting to see what comes out of the House. But like I said, it's at all levels right now, especially with President Biden, you know, trying to, you know, push on some of his campaign promises, including on. You know, gun control, Um, and that's one of the things that that bipartisan, you know, push uh, by General Assembly members are going to have to make their voices strong and heard too. Ian, quickly, what are you going to be looking for out of this uh,
2: this session? Well, there's obviously a a huge question about the budget. You know, on one hand, there could be an enormous five hundred million dollar plus deficit for the fiscal year starting in July. On the other hand, if there is a big stimulus package from the Democratic-controlled capital in D.C. that is expected to alleviate the situation and really uh, uh, remove that as a serious problem. So that's one huge factor. On charter schools, as Mayor Fung said, it's no secret that Rhode Island schools have been underperforming for years. That's a huge issue for the future of the state's economy, and the pandemic has made it only more difficult to improve schools. I did a story about two years ago about how more than half of Providence elected officials send their own kids to schools other than traditional public schools. So that shows how there's a real appetite for different approaches and, uh, you know, at the same time, we know the teachers' unions are not big fans of charter schools. On guns, uh, Joseph Parche is known as a consensus builder. So I expect he will move slowly and deliberately in considering gun-related legislation.
0: All right, let's do outrages and or kudos, and then we'll head to a little bit of a national. Wendy, what do you have this week?
3: Um, <laughs> my outrage... Um, my outrage is probably like everybody else. Uh, I'm, you know, um, I'm outraged that there hasn't been better communication uh, on the vaccine. And my, the reason I'm outraged is not sorry that that I want to get it sooner than anybody else or anything like that. It's that there, are, there's also suspicion of vaccines. There's also reluctance to take vaccines. We've seen this a little bit in some populations in Rhode Island that have been offered the vaccine um, that have said, no, we want to wait and see what's going on. I think there's some legitimacy to saying, well, I'm worried about its effects long-term, et cetera. But every time you have disorganization in a vaccination program, you also, I think, feed people's concerns and fears about vaccines. And as Mayor Fung says, we've got to get COVID under control. People have to get vaccinated for life to resume. So my my outrage is really that it's costly, not just in getting the vaccine, but certainly encountering a lot of fears about the vaccine among people who are hesitant.
1: Talent, outrage, or kudo this week? Actually, I have a combination mix. Outrage, but also a couple of kudos to throw. uh,
0: Well, let's keep it tight here.
1: A couple of kudos. (laughs) Come on, we got to get to the National and your boy Donald Trump. Let's go. Hey, God, don't start that with my boy, all right? No, but uh, it's actually... Kudos to my wife and also Representative Julie Casmaro working on Bipartisan Way off of an important issue that, you know, Wendy raised, too, uh, with relation to the vaccination. You know, both of them got together to fight to get parents or a caregiver of cancer patients, and they were dealing with a child who was undergoing chemotherapy, for the parents or the caregiver to be able to get vaccinated. It is crazy. It is crazy that you have someone with a weakened, compromised immune system getting chemotherapy and their caregiver or parent uh, isn't vaccinated, could bring you know, COVID into the household to someone in a weakened condition. It had to happen. It had to happen yesterday. But kudos to the two of them for working together. And a lot of it is, unfortunately, I'm a little outraged at Department of Health that they had to wait on an issue that should be common sense uh, before scientific research came out to say, oh, yeah, you should vaccinate those others, too, so it doesn't bring it into the household.
2: Okay. Ian, what do you have? I've got a note of concern on the widespread power outages in Texas and the difficult situation there where a lot of people are without heat or water in terribly cold weather. Uh, Jim, you know, you know, as a Barrington resident, how often we've lost power in Barrington, Rumford, uh, Seaconk in recent years, that seems to have grown only more common. So it seems like the power grid is really under stress. It's not really adjusted to the changing world that we're living in. And Texans like their cheap energy when things are fine. But this uh, situation right now in Texas, when people are having to get by in freezing cold weather without any heat, shows uh, could be a harbinger of more similar situations in the future. So that's a real concern. And as some have pointed out, partisan politics is leading more to kind of people hulking in separate partisan corners and throwing stones rather than working on shared solutions.
0: Yeah. Welcome to our world in the winter, right, Ian? All right. You let's got. go to national. Um, uh, Alan, let me begin with you. I know we, this is the first uh, after you're leaving as mayor. We haven't had you on. We had you on the mayor show. What is your thought about where Donald Trump is going to fit in with the GOP going forward, um, yeah. n- given everything that's going on?
1: Sure. Well, you know, Trump is interesting in that, you know, the man started out as a Democrat until he used the Republican Party to win that presidency and now he all of a sudden he's talking about starting a third patriot party and whatnot. So I'm not sure where all that goes with him. but I can tell you from you know a lot of my contacts nationally, I have been impressed by what I'm seeing nationally by the younger, more diverse, little more middle-of-the-road crowd that's rising up in the party. People like the Nikki Haley's of the world, you know, who's done a great job as governor, and I certainly was impressed with her as ambassador. And you got people that have still been there like Marco Rubio or Tim Scotts. So for me, I'm quite optimistic about the future of the party, no matter what, um, you know, Mr. Trump decides to do. Wendy... It-
3: um, uh, I, I'm glad that Mayor Fong uh, mentioned Tim Scott of South Carolina, a really interesting politician that I think a lot of people should pay more attention to. He is up for re-election in South Carolina uh, in 2022, so I expect him to veer uh, back towards the very conservative ranch, so to speak. But he did challenge and take on President Trump, former President Trump, Uh, when he used racist language, when he supported white supremacists, when he didn't denounce white supremacy, you know, Tim Scott was out there and he made a really, uh, several really great speeches on the Senate floor about it. So I think that's an interesting thing about the diversity of the Republican Party, but building on the gains that they made in the election, winning a higher share of Latino votes in, in not only in Texas as a state, but in Florida and certain counties, uh, a slightly higher percentage of African-American voters, particularly men. Uh, so they have opportunity. And the question is, is it is the party going to invest in the younger, quote unquote, younger generation that can bring all those forces together nationally as a majority, or are they gonna go pretty much off the ranch back to former President Trump, which I don't think is a winning strategy for 2024 and may actually not even be a winning strategy for 2022.
0: What do you see, um, uh, Alan, In the midterms, you know, it's funny, we talked about this after Trump was elected and kind of the progression, we didn't think they were going to, the Senate was ultimately going to come over. The Republicans would really love to take back the House. What do they have to do in order to make inroads in the House and the Senate in the midterms?
1: Well, and that's the thing, you normally with the midterms, you do see a swing back from whatever the party is that's in control, you know, and that's one of the things that, you know, national Republican parties are going to have to focus on, um, that, you know, core group, you know, that I mentioned before, you know, so that's what brings some optimism for me nationally. But, you know, even in the midterms statewide or even locally, uh, we've got some rising stars in the party. You know, it's small still, but, you know, you have someone like Senator Jessica De La Cruz, who I thought did a, a very effective job, you know, uh, on television, you know, being the counter to the state of uh, Governor Raimondo's uh, address, her last address. however. Tele- Alan I, got, uh, Alan, I gotta I got hold you there, I'm so sorry, but we're gonna
0: continue this conversation online. If you wanna go right now to ripbs.org slash lively, we'll have our online lively bonus segment. It always goes by way too quickly. Mayor Fung, thank you for coming. Ian and Wendy, for the rest of you, join us online or come back here next week as the lively experiment continues. Have a great week.
2: experiment is generously underwritten by
1: for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face rhode islanders i'm john hazen white jr and i'm proud to support this great program and rhode island pbs